Hi there, and welcome to the Through the Woods podcast. My guest today is the host of the podcast Between Us, John Totten. Co-produced by Mason Neely, the show discusses different areas of psychotherapy from the eyes of the clients and of the therapists. Alongside the podcast, John is a successful teacher, musician, writer, and trained therapist. I think long car journeys can be a really reflective time, which makes what I listen to quite significant when half of my musical work can be driving to and from gigs. Now, John's podcast brought about some important personal realizations for some of my relationships in these drives. And so I thought there was no way I wasn't going to reach out to my unaware accidental counsellor. Before his training in psychotherapy, John studied jazz on double bass at Tennessee University, eventually moving to Seattle to play all the gigs he could get his hands on. So I spent my 20s pretty much pursuing a career in music, and then at the end of my 20s going to grad school while doing that. So you, you were juggling both at the same time? Yeah, I mean... It, you know, it was kind of around the time that you started to see some of the opportunities in the music industry and decline. I think I grew up in an era in which I witnessed, you know, the compact disc boom and the grunge boom and everybody was signing to record labels and putting on albums and getting on record record deals. And then by my mid-20s, it was kind of gone. And so mm-hmm. I was struggling throughout my 20s trying to make a career out of music and realizing that I wanted to go back to school that I had a kind of uh, intellectual itch that wasn't being scratched and also that I didn't want to be struggling like that when I was 40 yeah Um, and so I did grad school I went to grad school when I was 27 and did both for a while and I still I still do both it's definitely the balance has shifted for sure Mm. there's a lot to be said for realizing those things I feel like a lot of musicians feel quite frightened about scratching that itch that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think you're right. I think it's a, it becomes an identity for people, and letting go of that kind of goal slash dream feels like betrayal of the person's identity. Yeah, I think there there was some apprehension in the beginning about what does this mean for who I am. Mm. You know, now I feel like my identity has shifted again to where my identity is about the family that I've started mm. and, and that building my identity in music as a musician not primarily for me feels a little bit silly now certainly if I you know get into a conversation with someone and they ask me what I'm about it comes up pretty quickly how I was thinking about it in my 20s was that it was like if I couldn't be a musician if I couldn't make a career in music I would die kind of feeling yeah um was just kind of mean being unwilling to let go of this kind of version of myself that was in reality making me unhappy and holding me back my my relationship to music i think is far more rich than it was 15 years ago in looking at something else it's it's actually benefited the musical yeah. side as well yeah for me personally i feel very grateful of the, the letting go process that happened in my late 20s of realizing that I can make music for myself and 
for my friends and if I had any fans for them, but also I could, you know, pay the bills by helping people in the therapy room. It sounds like a profound journey that you went through. Yeah, I guess so. I think, <laughs> I think uh, what might be profound is that I went to therapy the whole way through and then I have the language for it. It's probably something that happens to millions of people, but the profound part to me is like when we start to kind of like tell the story as a way of making meaning out of it. It's a little frightening to think that John was pursuing something that he didn't realise was actually holding him back. I think it's a testament to the value of perspective brought on from being willing to try different things. It was a rare chance to get a perspective from a person who has lived as a professional in the music and psychological world. So I wanted to ask specifically about the connection of depression and anxiety with musicians. I go all kinds of different ways with that question. I think there are things that are inherently anxious and depressing about being a musician, particularly what I mentioned before, like the economic realities of it. The identity shift that's happening with the way technology and culture have changed the music industry, I think, are both factors. But also, I wonder if the causation is reversed, actually, if if there are higher numbers of people who have anxiety and depression who go into creative endeavors um, I mean I think I think I was always kind of a, like I think I was always a little bit of like a brooding sad kid and then when I discovered music probably in what we call middle school here you know it was kind of like a revelation it's almost easy to forget that music can be the relief from anxiety and depression so it's not a far-fetched idea that a lot of people who are affected by them are drawn to it it may also be why it's hard for some people, me included, to imagine it not being their first priority anymore. I think having this range of factors just adds to the profession's unpredictable nature. Yeah, that's a lot to handle. It is, yeah, and I think I just had kind of a lucky, a lucky moment of being 26 and working in record stores and seeing my closest friends who might have been older or whatever and Again, it's not any bit of judgment towards them. It's more of like a moment of clarity, you know, that, you know, addicts talk about of, you know, saying, I don't, this is not how I want to live into my mid thirties and forties. And I think I had been on a couple of tours with bands that I played in and, Mm. and realized how hard that life was. I think I'm wired for comfort. Yeah, totally. It's, yeah, <laughs> I, I understand that feeling all too well. It's really hard for a lot of musicians to admit, I mean, to come to that conclusion, right? There's this idea, and maybe it's part of masculinity that influences, there's this idea that if you're not gritting it out, then you're not really, you know, an artist. Yeah. It'd be nice to give that opportunity to more people in general to create the, their lucky moment. Yeah, it's true. I would like to give musicians the space to think about, like, is this is this lifestyle, is this industry serving you better? And also be sensitive to the fact that um, a lot of people, if they haven't experienced some of those privileges, they don't know, you know, how to get them. Maybe there are cultural or economic or systemic blocks to them achieving those things. And so it's, it's pretty complex. 
maybe even just by hearing what you're talking about now is is just worth checking in yeah. with yourself to see if this is actually what you want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about these things. With my, I have a younger brother who is in law school right now, and it, you know, it, it, he came to some similar conclusions that I did. He was one of those folks that was hyper committed to it for a long, long time. You know, because I can talk to my brother in a way that I can't talk to my clients. And I can, yeah. I, I can, I can kind of uh, talk with more authority, and he can tell me, you know, to fuck off. <laughs> um, and, and, and he does. But um, <laughs> but one of the things that kept coming up for me was like, hey, hey, man, you need to think about the fact that like getting a, a job outside of music, like a career type job, would actually benefit some of your abilities to record and play music. Yeah, um, financially supporting your own career. Yeah, just a very pragmatic decision. It's it's uh, so, it's, it's interesting. It sounds like the meaning of music kind of shifted again. Yeah. So, so like when we start music because it's just a beautiful way to express yourself, then it becomes a job, but now it becomes completely about your own enjoyment again yeah you know in that way i kind of feel almost like i similar to how i did in high school um when i was in high school music had this real sense of like wonderment to me you know i would i would go to school and i would come home and you know everything well for at least for me was so much more innocent in high school you know my fridays my friday nights weren't spent at bars you know (laughs) or or like in like they were in my 20s like trying to go on dates with girls you know <laughs> my, my Friday in high school my Friday nights would be like maybe I get maybe my mom and dad would order me a pizza and I'd play around with my four track recorder and I would discover something about recording that was really you know profound and and um, it was a really innocent time and, mm. um, you know whenever I have clients who are like partiers or like they go out a lot or, they feel really disillusioned with their life. I think I ask them to think like, "What was a weekend like for you in high school?" Think about how, you know, how innocent and also maybe fun and exciting and comfortable that might have felt to, you know, go home after school and watch movies or listen to records or, you know. Uh, but that's my relationship with music now is that it's it's far more. Uh, I think the sense of wonderment has returned. I find it easy to become a little complacent. It's nice to be reminded how fortunate I am to be involved in music. And knowing that fact is really useful for when that niggling little voice pops its head up and asks if I should still be doing music full time. Would, would you say it's been beneficial having a background as a musician when working with other musicians as a therapist? It doesn't happen as much as you might think, but... I definitely have that take on the music industry. It's a pretty jaded take on the music industry. <laughs> so if so if I am working with somebody who is pretty optimistic about it, I think that's hard for them. But the people I'm thinking of, we've worked together for a long time and kind of like worked on that. And, you know, maybe I come to see it their way a little bit. Maybe they come to see it my way a little bit. Maybe there's a meeting in the middle. But it certainly gives me you know, the language, I certainly understand the language. Um, I also push back against the language sometimes, you know, as someone who's married to a non-musician, my wife finds it often very pretentious to be around me and other musicians Hmm. because there's, there's conversation that she can't be part of. Um, 
which I totally understand. Do you think that fact lends itself to why sometimes it feels that musicians only really listen to other musicians? Yeah, I mean, I think the class of musicians is just a very neurotic... We're, we're just a very fucked up people. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, a, a filmmaker gets all this enjoyment out of something where they're, um, where they're behind the camera where they're not the true focal point an actor even maybe they are the focal point and no doubt actors can be quite narcissistic but they take pleasure in portraying other personalities other characteristics and not having their their own personality be the focal point i mean i know that's a black and white interpretation and then it's more nuanced than that but it seems nowhere is it more consistently kind of this neurotic need to put my own my own thoughts and my own neurosis in front of people for their enjoyment than music, right? I mean, there are people who do that in a way that it really speaks to the human condition. And, you know, the reason somebody like Bob Dylan is so important to me is because his own neuroses do come out that they say something bigger than themselves, but that's rare, I think. I'm not sure where I stand on this, as I'm more of a supportive sideman in the gigs that I play. Now, if being the writer or leading artist is anything like me creating this episode, then I can kind of understand how someone would risk being more self-absorbed, because it can feel a little damn isolated, and honestly is pretty scary when it's heard by others. Rumination and procrastination seem to, like, plague us as musicians. And I think it's down to a couple of things we've already sort of touched on, which is the non-linear or defined path of improvement alongside handling self-discipline. But how do you, as a healthcare professional now, personally deal with self-motivation? That's a good question. You know, that's almost a question for my wife. <laughs> I feel like she has a lot of opinions on that. I, I, think I, I think a lot of therapists are depressive, and a lot of musicians are depressive. I think there's some similarities there, but I think that I am... I hesitate to say unique because I don't think it's something to be proud of necessarily, but I think I have a manic kind of energy about how I do music, podcasts, writing, therapy, whatever I do. I, I really, really, really like to work. Okay. Um, and, and so, you know, whether their client is a musician or not, uh, Sometimes I have the hardest time working with clients who are having motivation or procrastination issues. Yeah. Um, and I consult a lot with my older, wiser clinical people mm-hmm. um, about what am I bringing to this relationship that is unhelpful. Because what I have internally when I'm talking to someone about their motivation issues is like, there's this part of me that's like, well, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not the most therapist thing to say. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, it's the least therapeutic thing. And, and, um, and obviously I know intellectually that that doesn't help, but, you know, that urge is there in me. I teach, I do my own music, I write, I have a kid now, uh, I have my private practice, I uh, take part in consultation groups, like I'm I'm constantly going from one thing to the next, so oftentimes my wife has to ask me to like slow down. Why would you say that is when each one of those would be a career in its own right? 
What what makes you like include them all as the makeup of what you do rather than potentially moving on to something else? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, I do know, but it's probably um, therapy notes with my my therapist office for years. <laughs> tell that story. Um, okay. I, you know, I I just think it's a neurosis. I think mm-hmm. it's maybe a need for approval or. Maybe it's a, a denial of the existential reality that I'm on this path towards annihilation one day, <laughs> um, which we all are, but yes. we all have different ways of coping with that, right? Um, there's this shark-like feeling that I get sometimes that if I sit idle too much, I don't know, then my worth is going down or something like that. Mm. You know, I think I have to work on that for my client's sake as well, because I think therapy is not a fast-moving process that therapy requires some stillness mm. a lot of stillness actually a lot of silence yeah absolutely yeah i think you you kind of sharpshooted a, a therapy blind spot for me i don't mm. know how to answer that question because i was tempted not to ask that question because you already said that <laughs> the music and the therapy seems to have affected each other in a really beneficial way yeah If I wasn't the guy who loved a day in front of the TV with a pizza large enough to sleep on, I'd probably find it much easier to empathise with John on motivation. My jealousy of this trait isn't particularly fair though, because as he mentions, it can also have a less positive impact on other people. I found it kind of interesting that one of the fundamental aspects of psychotherapy is privacy and confidentiality which almost opposes the fundamental aspect of podcasting, which is public content. So what yeah. what drew you to podcasting? I decided I'd been accepted to a, a PhD program. I had paid my deposit to go to this program. And I had another moment of clarity, um, probably similar to the one I had in my 20s, where I was, I was sitting in the backyard it was summer. I had already paid this deposit. It was a commuter program, so I was going to have to like fly to California for the classes every month. I was throwing a tennis ball for my dog, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just like reflecting on the finances, and you know, it was a five-year PhD, and thinking about what life was going to be like, and my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, how I would miss a lot of weekends with her, and then I thought, you know, I'm probably going to want to have a kid in the next five years, and how is that going to go? And I just had this moment of like, I am uh, uh, probably similar to realizing that I didn't want to live on tour as a musician, but I realized I, I was like, I'm sabotaging my happiness with this academic step. Yeah. And so I talked about it with my now wife then girlfriend and came to the conclusion that I didn't want to go get a PhD, that I kind of wanted to just work, work with clients and hang out at home. Hmm. And so uh, I started talking with Mason about what we could, if, if there was still a way for us to contribute to the bigger conversation, just kind of to destigmatize mental health and psychotherapy and get people talking more. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it'll be a lifelong project for me probably, but yeah, um, it's important. At the time, there weren't a lot of podcasts about psychotherapy or psychology. I, mean, I think there's a lot more. We're still not popular, but we didn't think it would be nearly as popular as it is now. Each episode gets, you know, seven or 8,000 listens, which is huge compared to where we thought it would be. And it sounds like it was scratching the sort of performance itch maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And also the music itch, right? I mean, yeah. 
the the big moments of clarity came at times when you were at you you were with your own thoughts you weren't distracted by constant things you you allowed you'd allowed yeah. yourself time to really be with your own thoughts yeah absolutely so maybe the biggest absolutely. thing to, to 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 come away from just talking to you for me personally is is allowing yourself those moments yeah you know i I've, I've worked with a lot of people and i know a lot of people personally who really struggle with that you know who are pretty debilitated with loneliness or who have a very low tolerance for time spent alone mm. and it, you know it's, it, it's it's quite sad when it happens it doesn't seem uncommon for musicians to be interested in the professional side of mental health I think John put it pretty damn well. When I was in college, music majors weren't required to take foreign language courses because it was they were credited for reading music. I think that's a really fantastic way to think about it. Mm. Um, and so I think musicians have to be incredibly personal in the languages that they understand, interpret, and speak. And literally and figuratively. And I think therapy is about being able to kind of interpret this interview with John Tom was taken by Oscar Reynolds. The music was made by Oscar Reynolds and was mixed by Mikhail Darwin. As ever, check out Through the Woods.online for more information and more resources, and thanks a lot for listening.